Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. What do you think remote viewing is? Kind of give us your definition of what it is. Okay, yeah. My definition is it's that we get information that is distant in either space or time or both in some unexplainable way. Um, in other words, not through our usual channels of communication. If you lined up uh, 10 people at random, just lined them all up and said, uh, practice remote viewing, folks, uh, here, you know, this target, tell us about this. How many do you think would get that right? Uh, well, first of all, it depends what you mean by get it right. Most people wouldn't be able to tell you exactly what it was. And most people probably wouldn't even be able to give you a description that was good enough for you to necessarily pick it out of a, you know, of a lineup of, tar- of possible targets. But what we found, we tested a lot of people, and we found that about 1% of the population seems to have a really good ability to do remote viewing. Just 1%? The rest of us, yeah, just 1%. The superstars, you know, you've probably interviewed some of them, like Joe McMonagle. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, Ingo but Swan, God rest his soul. He was yeah, one of the best. Exactly. Exactly. Ingo Swan, that's right. Pat Price. Ed um, Dames, he's still out there doing his thing. You know, I haven't, we didn't use him in the, um, in the scientific program, so I'm not sure. I don't know. But yeah, those are the people. So the rest of us seem to be able to do it to some small extent, but the training can only go so far. Um, I don't want to say anything bad about the training programs that are going on, but I don't want people to get their hopes up too much. Just like I could never go to Carnegie Hall playing the violin, you know, um, or, or I could never learn to sing like a good opera singer. So, so I think we all have some ability to do this, to do remote viewing, but, um, but we can only be trained to the level of our ability. So we can learn how to do it. You know, we can learn what not to do and what to do to, to gain whatever information our level of ability allows us to gain. I, I th- we're not all going to be superstars. And I think one of the important aspects of remote viewing, when people are concentrating on something it's very difficult to try to ascertain whether what comes into your mind is part of that remote viewing process or your mind just doing what it does, you know, thinking of things. And you have to be able to distinguish the difference because I think with remote viewing, and this is what I've been told, that if you concentrate too hard, it's not going to work for you. You just have to let it flow. That's right. If you try to get too, um, you know, cognitive, like think, if you try to think too much as opposed to just relax and let the information come in, uh, that doesn't seem to work so well. So whatever mechanism is going on, it's not the same as reading a book or, you know, whatever, something like that. Um, And then I also want to point out that there's two things that we need to explain, really. One is how does the information get to a person? And then how does the person get the information once it's there? So one is kind of a physics problem, right? How does information get from the future to now or from Australia to California or right, whatever? Right. But then the other is that information is somehow available through remote viewing. How does somebody then process it and, and be able to do remote viewing? So I think those are two problems that we need to work on. Is there a science behind remote viewing or is it more uh, paranormal? Well, I think it should be treated as a science. In other words, I think there's a real uh, clue here that there's something we don't understand about space and time, and we shouldn't be ignoring that clue. Scientists should not be ignoring that. 
because uh, I think it could fundamentally change our understanding of the universe, and we ought to be going there because there's data to show that there is something going on. And I think if we knew what it was, it would really help us understand other aspects of the universe. I think so too. I mean, there's something that yeah. is uh, just, you know, it's out there. We're able to tap into it. Uh, Lynn McTaggart calls it the force. Uh, other people have called it different things. I've called it the wireless internet that's in the universe where we're all connected. Uh, it's yeah. the, there's something there, and and it's always been there, hasn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, anecdotally, you know, stories go back centuries, obviously, and I think it's only recently that people have been so skeptical about it. I think it was kind of accepted in the old days. Do you think we were all born with these abilities? these psychic abilities, these remote viewing abilities, the ability to be able to tap into this, that it's our, it's inherent in the human body? You know, I don't know. Just like other abilities. I mean, why can some of us sing well and others not? Um, it might be something to do with the way our brains are structured. But I do think we all have some ability, um, just like we can all sing, but just not the way. And training. Training helps. Yeah. Yeah, I think training helps. That's right. Yep. I mean, I sing a lot at our live events, and I, uh-huh. I realized over the years that the breathing techniques when you sing are as important as the tone coming out of your mouth. Right. Yeah. I so mean, you really touched on something important. That's right. So you can train in technique. You can't get the ability, whatever it is, in people's brains if it's not there, just like you can't really restructure someone's vocal cords, right? But you can train them how to use their exactly. vocal cords and their breathing. Exactly. I mean, you know, as a talk show host, uh, you know, the voice I have, I developed it, but I had this voice. I mean, I could have been born like this, interviewing you like that. What kind <laughs> of an interview would this be? <laughs> With this is Jessica. I'm, I'm not sure how long my career would last like that. <laughs> you would definitely have a different day job. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And night job, too. And night job, too. What's going on today with research into remote viewing? Anything? Yeah. In fact, well, I don't know, not so much remote viewing as I would more broadly define kind of psychic phenomena. Um, I think people who are serious about this field realize that the data is there that show that there's definitely something going on. So we don't need to do more proof-oriented experiments. Those really are there. Anybody who's willing to look at the data I think would have to come to that conclusion. So what we need is, is experiments to try to figure out what is going on. And to me, some of the most intriguing ones recently have been looking at precognition as a possible unifying theme. So for example, I don't know if anyone on your show has talked about presentiment, but those experiments yes, they are have. the ones... Yeah, good. Okay, so that's where you're, you show somebody a, a neutral or a disturbing picture and you look at their physiology just before the picture has even been selected as being disturbing or neutral, and their physiology seems to know ahead of time which type of picture is going to be uh, presented. Tell us a little bit about Nobel Prize winner physicist Brian Josephson and some right. of his work. So Brian Josephson is a physicist who has been very interested in consciousness and psychic abilities and so on. And he and I wrote a paper um, at one point where, uh, let me just quote something from the paper, if I may. Yep. Um, here's what he said about psychic phenomena. He said, these phenomena seem mysterious, but no more mysterious perhaps than strange phenomena past, which science has now happily incorporated within its scope. What ideas might be relevant in the context of suitably extending science to take these phenomena into account? 
Two such concepts are those of the observer and non-locality. The observer forces his way into modern science because the equations of quantum physics, if taken literally, imply a universe that's constantly splitting into separate branches, only one of which corresponds to our perceived reality. A process of decoherence has been invoked to stop two branches interfering with each other, but this still does not answer the question of why our experience is one particular branch and not the other. Perhaps despite the unpopularity of the idea, the the experiencers of the reality are also the selectors. We are going to take calls with Jessica next hour on remote viewing. Would you say that remote viewing is also a hunch? You know, it's really interesting. Um, Remote viewing per se, so the reason I keep coming back to a sort of broader definition is remote viewing is a pretty specified um, action, I guess you would call it, where you explicitly try to get information about a target. So I would say hunches and other intuitions and Example I explained earlier about my um, friend's uh, new nephew's name and so on. Those are the kind of anecdotes that have been reported over the centuries where people aren't even trying. You know, they just, this information just comes to them. So, do you have, include hunches there. Do you have these kinds of abilities yourself? I mean, you've been around it for years. You would think (laughs) it would rub off on you. You would think so, but no. Really? How come? I had a few of these experiences. But, um, I just don't have the, just like I can't sing, I just don't seem to have the innate talent. My, my guess is, Jessica, that you have, that you overthink these things, and maybe that's why right. you're blocked. You, you know what? That's true. I mean, as a statistician, I'm, I'm highly cognitive. Yes. That's true. Now, where does this kind of research go later? I mean, we've got some great organizations that are still out there. There's, uh, even though he's not affiliated, it's affiliated with Duke University. There's still the J.B. Rhine Institute, uh, the Monroe Institute. There's some great places there that are keeping this going, aren't they? Oh, yes, indeed. Um, I think you've probably had Dean Radin on your show. Oh, of course, many times. Many times. He's, he's got quite a research team now. They have, I think, 12 scientists there. Um, they're at the uni- at universities in the United Kingdom, there's a lot more going on than in the U.S. So they have most of their universities, well, I shouldn't say most, many of their universities have programs in parapsychology. So there is research going on in various places around the world. I would suggest and guess that the Russians are probably still doing something. I don't think I they disbanded. I would guess that, too. <laughs> I don't have any evidence of that, but I would guess that, too. They probably went into Hillary's emails with remote viewing. They didn't have to hack. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. One of the things that infuriates me in the U.S. is that there's a small group of people who call themselves skeptics, but they're not. They're deniers, just like the climate change deniers. And they're out to make it um, sort of to put a stigma on doing research in this area which I think is really criminal because, again, I think there is something of scientific importance here. And to squash something that's of scientific importance and call yourself a scientist, to me, that's pseudoscience. So Would these, deniers, be, the, the, would these be the yeah. same people who do not believe, let's say, in a divine creator? That they uh, Actually, were... I think not necessarily. In fact, some of them, I think, are opposed to this research for religious reasons. Really? They don't think it should be done, yeah. Do they are, yeah, are they believers in life after death, um, or are they skeptical I, no, about I everything? No, no, no. I think it's a combination of people who just have their own 
sense of how the world works, and this is not incorporated as part of it um, for whatever reason. So whether it's a religious reason or um, they're somehow, you know, tied to the what we already know about physics and that's it, that's the full explanations, I don't know. But, um, but they, they have strong beliefs that they don't want to be disturbed by any new data. What have your colleagues said, Jessica, about the, some of the work you've done in this field? Um, actually, my statistical colleagues have been pretty interested. I give a lot of talks at universities in statistics departments, and I show them the data because I think it's really interesting. And we discuss it, and um, you know, they don't necessarily have to believe it, but they're mostly open to it. Um, it's funny, there's an area of statistics called Bayesian statistics where you combine data with your belief system. And I love combining that, the, the remote viewing data, with someone's prior belief that it could be that psychic abilities could be real, because if you have really really strong prior beliefs that psychic abilities can't be real, then almost no amount of data is going to convince you. And we can actually quantify that, which is kind of fun because we can see why we agree to disagree. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.